Well, again today, let me invite your attention to Acts chapter 22 as we think about the spiritual giant, the Apostle Paul. I know most of us in the room and those here watching, we could talk about some unforgettable moments that we've had in life that will stick for us all of our days. It could be the day that you were married, you'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day when Angel and I joined our lives together. It could be the birth of a child for you. It could be when you bought your first house. I'll never forget when Ains and I bought a house, we paid $45,000 for our first house. And I thought, we'll never be able to pay that back. And then we bought another house. We moved and bought another house down the road, and we paid $107,000 for that house. And I told Angie as we were closing, I said, I think I need medical attention. And uh, I don't, this is really, really overwhelming. So here we are now. But it could be that, or it could be that your first day of retirement, You'll never forget that day. You did not have to get up and go to work. You could do whatever you wanted to that day. It was a day that you would never forget in your life. But here's something that should be an unforgettable moment for every single one of us. And here's the date, the day that we came to Jesus as our Savior in life. Praise the Lord for that. Thank Jesus for salvation. A number of years ago, Ains and I watched a funeral on on a particular day. It was Dr. Tom Eliff. And his wife, Jenny, Jenny passed away and we wanted to watch the funeral. We've been around Dr. Eliff over the years. He was president of the International Mission Board and uh, we wanted to watch their serve, her funeral service live streamed. And so we're watching and brother, brother Tom, Dr. Eliff is going to preach her service. So he stands up and he starts talking about his wife and he says, I want to use three words to describe her life. And the first word he says is the word certainty. Because he said about Jenny, there was a period in her life that she did not have certainty that she was saved and right with the Lord. She came to him one day and just said that she did not feel like she was a believer, a Christian, somebody who knew Christ had been born again. And he was pastoring a church at that time. And so he set her down and they talked about the reality of sin. Uh, He talked about the sinless life of Jesus and his death on a cross, his burial in a tomb, his glorious resurrection three days later, and the call on our lives to repent, turn from our sin, and trust Jesus as our Savior. Again, this is a pastor's wife. And so he shared the gospel, and they went on about their lives. And so a number of weeks later, he's standing on a Sunday morning in the bathroom, shaving, looking into the mirror, and Jenny walks into the bathroom. Again, Sunday's coming, and it's right there. And she says to him, Tom, I've never repented of my sin. And Dr. Eliff said at that very moment, he put his razor down, and he said him and Jenny walked to their bedside, And the two of them knelt on their knees at the bedside and Jenny prayed from her heart and called on the name of Jesus and she turned from her sin and she put her trust in Jesus Christ as her savior and he gloriously saved her that Sunday morning. A pastor's wife. And Brother Tom said that Sunday morning in the service, she stood before the congregation whom he was pastoring and said to them that she was wonderfully saved that morning. And then she followed Jesus in believer's baptism that Sunday night. Pastor's wife. Let me say this about that story. I appreciate Dr. Ella sharing that story because it takes compassion to do that. 
But for Jenny, I appreciate that she had humility and courage to be able to say, I don't think I'm saved. I don't think I've ever repented of my sin. And the humility to say, I need Jesus to save me and to change my life. In the room and watching, I want to encourage you to lean into this next question. As a kid, as a student, as an adult, do you know that you are saved today? Not that you hope so. Maybe things are okay. You sure hope everything works out in the end. Do you know without any reservation, with assurance in your life, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you have turned from your sin and you have put your trust and faith in him and him alone to save you. Do you know you're saved? 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, For everyone who believes in the name of the Son of God shall know that they have eternal life. I'm going to give you an invitation here in just a little bit, and I want to encourage you. Don't walk out this building today. Don't log off where you are with doubts and questions about your salvation. Make sure you settle the salvation issue in your life today. Why? Why? That's what Paul said. Today is the day of salvation. Settle that issue today. As I think about the life of the Apostle Paul, what do we know about him? Let me give you some insights. I want to give you some words here. They're not on your teaching outline just yet, but I want you to write these down because they're going to be significant. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, before it was named Saul, after he was wonderfully saved, changed to the name of Paul, his autobiography is in actually in 1 Timothy chapter 1 because Paul says, though, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. What does that mean? It says he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, but also he was an arrogant man. That's the life of the Apostle Paul before he came to Christ. But then he said, but I received mercy. And then he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Depending on your translation, he was the chief of sinners. That is his autobiography. Now, if you were going to write your autobiography and you had a book, what would be listed in your book? What would you say? And for Paul, he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was an arrogant man. He was the chief of sinners. What would be in your book? I want you to write these three statements down real quick because they would be a part of all of our stories. Number one, everyone has a dark side. The Apostle Paul shared his dark side, blasphemer, persecutor, arrogant man, chief of sinners. We all have a dark side. Why? Because we were dead in our sins, but the grace of God made us alive with Jesus Christ. We all have a dark side. We have missed the mark. We sinned against our Heavenly Father. Here's the second word. It's very good news. No one is beyond hope. And so if you're in the room or you're watching and you've got a dark side and you know that and you're living outside of Christ, you are not beyond hope. Why? Because that's what the cross, that's what the, the good news of Jesus Christ is about. The third statement is this, the gospel changes everything. The Apostle Paul wasn't saved because he was a good man. He wasn't saved because he was a religious man. He wasn't saved because of anything that he might do. He was saved because of the grace of God and the person of Jesus Christ who went to a cross and shed his blood and gave everything for him. He had a dark side. 
But in the midst of his dark side, he was not beyond hope. And even about that, the gospel changed everything for him, still doing so even this day. So for your autobiography, what would be listed? What would you write in your book? That's what the Apostle Paul said. So I want to give you these statements here, though, about the Apostle Paul so you'll understand his life. And these statements relate very well to you and me. Number one, he was gloriously saved. We don't use that terminology much in our day, but when I was growing up, we used it a lot. We talked about people being saved. When were you saved? When were you born again? Well, again, we don't talk that much anymore. I was at the Cracker Barrel not too long ago having lunch with someone. And so the person who was serving us came over and we had a conversation. And then I asked her, how can we pray for you today? And she gave three or four areas that we could pray for about, which I was impressed with. And we said, we're going to do that. And so I moved the conversation to talking to her about, did she go to church? Was she involved in a local church? And she assured us that she was. And then I didn't even have an opportunity to ask the next question. And here's what she said. She talked about her local church. She talked about her pastor. And then she said this, and I am saved. Well, I thought I was going to have revival right there in Cracker Barrel. Because I mean, I just about got happy in the Lord right there. You know, I said, that's amazing. I don't hear that language anymore. Let's talk about that. And then she talked about when she was saved, when she was born again, when she repented of her sin and trusted Jesus to be her savior, she was wonderfully saved. So let me ask you again. I want you to lean in. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? Paul was gloriously saved, as we're going to see, on the road to Damascus. A blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man experiences the grace of God and he's saved and changed for all eternity. Look at the second, he was heavenly called. When you look at the Apostle Paul's life, he he was called in the ministry. He was a pastor, a preacher, a missionary, a church planter. He was an author. The Holy Spirit used him, but he was heavenly called. You have to realize when Paul looked at life and when he looked at ministry, it was not a job for him. It was not a career decision for him. He was saved on the road to Damascus and then the Holy Spirit filled his life and called him into ministry. Make sure if you're going to serve in ministry as a vocation, it's not a job for you. It's not simply a career decision for you. It is the call of God on your life. Because when you think about the call of God, some days the only thing that's going to keep you in ministry is the call of God on your life. And I want to say to you again as your pastor, I said this from day one to you, but when I stand in this pulpit and serve as the under-shepherd of this church, following the good shepherd who is the Lord Jesus Christ, this is not a career move for me. It's not a career decision for me. This is not simply a job for me. It is the call of God on my life. And I desire to be obedient to the call of God in life. Paul, we look at it, he was heavenly called. His parents didn't call him. Some good buddies didn't call him. Jesus called him. Number three, he was spiritually filled. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, there is no way he could have endured the travel. There is no way he could have endured the beatings. There is no way he could have endured the persecution if he wasn't spiritually filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus. You cannot do that on your own. And so when you look at it today, why are so many people walking away from ministry? Why are so many people saying they're burned out? Why are so many people saying, I just need a break? I talked with someone not too long ago who's, who's a, a key leader 
with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association who stepped away from his position. And here's what he told me. He said, I just need to be a part of the church and not involved in ministry at this season of my life. I met a pastor one day on the driving range and we were having a conversation and he said, I just need to take a break from ministry. But you and I need to make sure that if we're gonna serve in ministry and follow the leadership of Christ, we're not doing it in the power of the flesh. We're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can never serve the Lord Jesus in the flesh and maintain and finish well. We have to rely. He was spiritually filled. We need to be spiritually filled as well that we function out of the power and leadership and anointing of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. Thank God he didn't leave us as orphans. Grateful that when we were saved, he filled us with the Holy Spirit and we constantly need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number four, he was divinely inspired gives me great encouragement when I open God's word every day of my life. Much of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Please understand he didn't write it himself. He was inspired, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. He literally did what the Holy Spirit asked him to do. Major, major author of the New Testament. So we're reading, when we look at this, we're reading the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Bible, what Paul had to write, is an errant, infallible, authoritative. This is the word of God. And so it was divinely inspired and Paul was obedient to that. Number five, he was strategically sent. When you look at the life of the apostle Paul, he followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 16, there were places that Paul wanted to go on his own. The Holy Spirit would not allow him to. He did not try to resist the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He didn't do what Paul wanted to do. He surrendered his life. He heard the Macedonian call and he obeyed the leadership of Jesus. He was strategically sent. I just encourage people in the Christian life, follow the leadership of the Spirit. When he asks you to do something, obey him. It may make you uncomfortable. It may move you outside of your comfort zone. It may, he may call you to do something you've never done before. But if you are confident the Holy Spirit is leading you, obey the leadership of Jesus. Be and live strategically sent in the Christian life. Number six, he was biblically focused. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he was focused. And what does that mean? He was a preacher of God's word. He wanted to preach the whole counsel of God. He wanted to see people come to Christ. In Romans 15, he wanted to go where no one else had ever been before. He wanted to share the gospel with people. He was planting churches. He was encouraging churches. He was discipling believers. He was raising up more pastors and calling out the call. He was biblically focused in his life. He did not get sidetracked by secondary issues. He stayed focused on the main thing, and that was the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, planting churches, reaching the nation with the good news of Jesus Christ. He was focused biblically. And then number seven, he was personally faithful. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he was coming to the end of his physical life. And when you look at the end of his physical life, what was he like? He was still hungry for God's word. He was cold. He wanted something to wrap up in, but he wanted the books and the parchment papers because he never, never lost that teachable spirit. He wanted other godly people around him. And here Paul was, he was personally faithful even to his last physical breath. 
And when I look at my life and I come to the finish line, oh God, help me to come to the finish line. Make sure that my needs are met because God, you're going to be faithful. But when I come to the finish line, God, help me to always have a teachable spirit. Help me to value Christian godly relationships around me. And God, let me finish strong and faithful. Just God, as you have been faithful, I want to finish faithful as well. That's the life of the Apostle Paul. What do we know about him? We understand those things. Now, let's transition a little bit more back to Acts chapter 22. I want you to get an understanding of who he was. Now, the good news, when I look at the clock, it says I've got 27 minutes to preach. I think that's a little too long. And so, but I like the 27 minutes still being on there. That's a great thing. I see things you guys can't see up here. So just putting that out there, by the way. I don't think I'm going to go 27 minutes, but we'll see how the Holy Spirit works here over the next few minutes. Number one, understand how God works. How does God work in life? Acts chapter 22, how do we see the work of God? I want you to look at this in verse 6. Paul says, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus. He was on his way. He was drawing near to a city called Damascus. He said, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, that's his name before he was converted. Why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I want you to write these three sentences down. Number one, he is always at work. He was working before Paul got into Damascus. As I think about our city, there's violence in our city. There are shootings in our city. There are killings in our city. As I think about our city, I think about our churches, we need to see God at work. We need to see revival in our city, in our lives, in our families and marriages. We need to see God move. But understand this, even though there's crime and violence in our city, even though we need to experience revival, here's the good news. God is always at work. And so before ever Paul got into Damascus, on the way, on the road to Damascus, God was at work in his life. May you and I always realize, even though when we see so many dark, so much darkness around us, our Heavenly Father knows all about that and He's still working to this day. Number two, His activity isn't limited to Sundays or to a church building. His activity isn't limited to Sundays or to a church building. Because Paul said, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, so he wasn't in a church building. He was on the road to Damascus. The activity of God was getting ready to change this man's life from Saul to Paul, from a persecutor to a preacher. God's going to work in his life, so his activity isn't limited to Sundays or to a church building. Aren't you grateful for that? Here's the good news. I've seen people saved in their cars. I've seen people saved in office buildings. I've seen people saved in restaurants. I've seen people saved in baseball, football stadiums. I've seen people saved on the corner of a street. I've seen people saved all over the place, sometimes on a Sunday, but sometimes on a Monday or a Wednesday. Thank God that his activity isn't limited to a day of the week or to a building that we would call a church building. He is always at work. And number three, he uses people's conversion stories. Again, it's not simply a sermon, it's a testimony. And so what is he doing? He's going to use the testimony of the Apostle Paul. When you read Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26, on three different occasions in the book of Acts, what is Paul doing? He is sharing his conversion story. I was persecuting believers. I was lost. But on the road to Damascus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, radically, gloriously saved me. 
I am no longer lost. I am now found. I am saved. He called me to be a preacher, a pastor, a church planter, an author, a writer, and he is obeying the leadership of Christ. And here we are on a Sunday still talking about the glorious conversion of a guy by the name of Paul on the road to Damascus. Church, I'll never forget as a little boy attending our missionary Baptist church in rural, rural Kentucky. I remember every July we had revival services and we would go to those revival services and, and those pastors and evangelists, they would preach it hot. It, it, hell was hot. The word of God was hot. They were preaching hot. And I remember one night in that revival service, I was standing there back in those days we did this. We don't do it as much now, but maybe the Holy Spirit would lead some people to do that. My Sunday school teacher, of all people who loved us as boys, we were wild as ever as boys in that class. She persevered. She loved us. The imitation, I'm standing right over here. The preacher's standing here. I'm, I'm standing right over here. And all of a sudden, I look up, and my Sunday school teacher steps out from the pew she was standing in, and here she starts coming toward me. And she came to me, and she says, Have you ever thought about giving your life to Jesus in that imitation? And I said to Miss Peggy, I have thought about that. She said, why don't you go down front and pray, see if the Lord Jesus will save you. Well, I love my Sunday school teacher, so I walked down front, knelt on my knees in the altar and prayed and asked Jesus to save me. But I didn't sense that night in revival service that I'd been saved, born again, set free, any of those things. I, I still thought I was lost. I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about that much in our day, but the Holy Spirit will convict you. And so I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. So the next day at our house, we had a basement and I walked down and sat on those basement stairs and I was still under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I just cried out and I said, Jesus, I'm just a young boy, but I believe you are the son of God. You are the savior of the world. And I believe you will save me because I can never save myself. And I know I've sinned against you. And so I said, Jesus, will you save me and forgive me? And that day on those basement steps, Jesus Christ saved my soul. He changed my life. And so I got up from those basement steps and I walked back upstairs and Angie and I were looking at the house the other night that we grew up in. And I remember walking up those basement steps and when I opened that basement door, guess who was standing at the door? It was my mom and she says, Jesus just saved you, didn't he? I said, hallelujah, he did save me. And I remember going forward that night in revival service, standing before the people at Peters Creek Baptist Church, and I shared with them today on the basement steps, Jesus Christ saved me, and I want to be obedient to him in believer's baptism. And we went down to the creek a few days later and got baptized in obedience to Christ. And I want to show you this picture. This is a picture of my baptism, standing there with some others who got saved in that revival. That picture is about 40-something years old, but here I am saying, I think I'm preaching right there at that, that baptism service but that is one of the most glorious pictures i've got the day that i obeyed jesus christ at that riverbank in believer's baptism to be faithful to jesus christ to do what he asked me to do and so when you look at that you just understand how god works because he's at work now i want to ask you again i've asked you this several times i ask you again do you know that you're saved do you know that you've been born again do you know that you're going to go to heaven 
Now I realize there are some times when you look at the Apostle Paul, he gave significant detail. He said he was on his way to Damascus. He drew near. So the place is there. He even gave details. It was about noon. So it was about top of the day just about. He said a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. He's given details about his salvation story. And then he fell to the ground. He heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he got introduced to Jesus himself. When I see somebody come to Christ, if I'm a part of that, I encourage them. Take out a piece of paper, do whatever you need to do to write down the place that you're at, the time you got saved, some events around it, who shared the gospel with you. Make sure you write that down because that is the defining moment in your life. You say, well, am I really saved? Because I don't necessarily know the day. I don't necessarily know the exact time. I've met many other people in a Christian life. They can't give you the exact day. They can't give you the time, but they still have the peace of God in life that they are saved and they know that. But here's what I ask you. Are you saved? Are you been born again? Do you know that? Without any question, any reservation. Here's what the devil will do. The devil will want you to feel like you're not saved and the devil will try to convince you that you're not saved. That's how he works. But do you know that you've been saved? Here's some ways you, when, when, when he saves you, your life is gonna change. And if your life's not changing, you need to seek him about whether you're saved or not. And then when you get saved and he wants to use your conversion story, talk about who you were before Christ. Talk about how Jesus changed your life. And then talk about what Jesus is doing in your life now. Don't live 20, 30, 50 years ago. Talk about what Jesus is doing in your life now. There are people who need to hear that. Here's where I was at before Christ. Jesus saved me and changed my life. And here's what he's doing in my life now. That's your story. Now, number two, spend time with God. As you look at this, Paul's going to talk about some growth in, in his life. And I want to give you some insights. How do you grow in your relationship to Christ? You come to Jesus. How do you grow in that? Let me encourage you to write these down. Number one, practice the spiritual disciplines. Paul is going to understand again that if he's going to grow in his relationship to Christ, the spiritual disciplines matter. That's the word of God. That's prayer. That's journaling, fasting, serving, fellowshipping with other believers. Those are spiritual disciplines that should happen in our lives. Number two, love the Lord's church. As you and I think about the church, the church is not perfect. We have our issues, but God has called us to fellowship with other believers in Christ. Please understand the Christian life. The church is not an option. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, let us not give up meeting together, some in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. God created us for community, for fellowship. The local church matters. Love the Lord's church. It's his bride. One day he's coming to get his bride, by the way, as well. Number three, learn to ask questions. Ask questions in the Christian life. Jesus was a master at asking questions. And I even find it interesting. If I go back to Genesis chapter 3 in the fall, when I read that, when I look in Genesis chapter 3, for example, in verse 10, again, Adam and Eve have had this spiritual fall. And here's God comes to them. And what does God do? God asks them questions. I find that fascinating because God asked them three questions. And he said, one, where are you? What we have to realize, does God not know where they are? No, he knows where they are. He knows everything. He's asking questions. Where are you? His second question was, who who told you that you were naked? Who told you that way? And then his third question, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? He asked them questions, not because he needed to know something, but because he wanted to fellowship with them. 
I ask questions because I need to know something. Sometimes I ask questions just to be able to dialogue with people. I already know the answer. I just want a fellowship with somebody and a way to get to know them is to ask questions. And so when you look at at, at Acts chapter 22 again, go back to that story and we look at the apostle Paul and here he is going to do, he just got saved on the road to Damascus, born again. Jesus has changed his life. And what does Paul do? One of the first things he does, he asks questions. And what did he ask? He asked two questions. Who are you, Lord? It was about his beliefs. And then he said, what do you want me to do, Lord? It was about his behavior. And in a Christian life, please understand this. Here's what the world, those who are outside of Christ, this younger generation, they can sniff out hypocrisy in a heartbeat. They don't like gimmicks. They don't like marketing. They want authenticity. And here's what I mean by that. Not perfection, but they want to make sure beliefs and behaviors match here's what you say you believe here's how you behave that those things match for the apostle Paul two questions to the Lord who are you Lord because I want to make sure I know you and what shall I do Lord what do you want me to do with the rest of my days and life learn to ask questions when I was doing my doctoral work The focus was how do you take a very inward-focused church and lead that church to focus outward. I've never been a part of a more inward-focused church than that particular church. And they were desperate to have an outward focus. So part of that was what were we doing in the community, but also through that the Holy Spirit had given me a great passion to go to Brazil and to plant a church. And so I'm writing about this in my doctoral work, and here's what I came to. And I said this to the writing professors and others who I was around. I don't want to just study this and know how to do it. I want to study it and go do it. And so from that inward focused church, I took many, many people from that church, and we went to Brazil and said, I just don't want to tell you how to do it. I want to, I want to go there and do it. I want to go plant a church. And so God used us to go there and to plant a church in Brazil And we visited that church many times since then, but it was about beliefs and behaviors. I wanted them to match. Number three, do everything God asks. Do everything God asks. What is he going to ask you to do? Whatever he asks you to do, then then you you do it. Here's what I do know. When I turned 50 years old, life changed. Can I get a witness from anybody on that? that Was that just me or is that you as well? When I turned 50, things changed. I started getting stuff in the mail. I thought, what in the world are they, this medical doctor sending me this kit for? What does he want me to do with that? Well, he had plans for when I turned 50. You need to do such and such. And then when I went to the doctor, I mean, the conversations with the doctor changed because then they started wanting to do tests. And I'm thinking, what, what is that test? Well, you're, you're at 50 years old. You need to start doing this. And then they started recommending things I'd never heard before, so I had to Google those to see what it was. And you just don't Google health-related stuff. I mean, it'll mess up your life if you do too much of that. Uh, so you want to stay as away from that as you can. But they started asking me to do all these things because I, I crossed this 50-year mark, and they want to do all these things. And they said, we want to make sure you're physically healthy and a good place. And I, and I appreciated that. When's the last time you and I have done a spiritual evaluation and checkup? And to say, Lord, two things. Who are you and what do you want me to do? Interesting in this text, when it comes to the Apostle Paul, here's what happened in this text. 
He, again, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? And it goes on down, this guy, Ananias. There are several Ananiases in the Bible, by the way, as well. He, this guy was a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews who lived there. He came to him, he stood by Paul, and he called him Brother Saul. They were brothers in Christ now. And he said, Receive your sight. The very hour I see my sight and saw him. And he said, the, the God of our fathers appointed you. And here's what he's asking him to do. He just gives us a list of things. I think it's wonderful. I like this list. One, he says in this passage, he says, Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know his will. Paul, you need discernment to make sure you know the will of God in your life. You don't live for Paul. You live for Jesus. Know his will in your life. So that's one thing he wants you to do, to know his will. Then he also says to see the righteous one. Paul, you need to see Jesus in your life. And what does that mean? Paul, the heart, he saved you. He's growing you. Why? So you'll worship him. You'll see him as the righteous one. You'll worship him. So, so you discover the will of God, you worship the Son of God. And then he goes on to say, and also to hear a voice from his mouth. You live intimate with him so that you know how to hear the Lord's voice in your life. You're not listening to those of the world. You're listening to the Lord's voice in your life. So listen to his voice. And then he says, he also wants you to be a witness for him. Everywhere you go, you're going to be a witness for Christ. You're going to share Jesus everywhere you go. And then he said to him, I want you to rise and be baptized. That's literally baptism and obedience to Christ, as he's talking about, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. You're not saved because you're baptized. You're baptized because you're saved. Don't get those backwards. You come to Jesus, and then in obedience to Jesus, you follow him in believer's baptism. But here's the thing. Paul was living his life to do everything that God asked him to do. Let me give you these three statements. Here's how you can do that. Number one, live with open hands. You come to life, and you say, oh, Lord, you saved me. I'm born again. You've forgiven my sins. I have assurance of heaven. And Jesus, I live with you with open hands. Whatever you ask, I'm going to do. I want to know your will. I want to worship you. I want to hear your voice. I want to be your witness. And I want to obey your leadership. I just live with open hands. Jesus, whatever. You call it. Here we are. We're ready to obey. Number two, remain hungry for truth. When you look at the Apostle Paul, he never, never lost that teachable spirit. Always hungry for truth. Number three, stay connected with people. The local church matters. Stay connected to God's people. And that's what Paul was doing. He wasn't by himself. He was fellowshipping with the people of God. Now, I want to ask you this question. Two questions. Who are you, Lord? Do, do you know who he is? Do you honestly know Jesus in your life? Not just about him, but do you know him? Do you know him? Almost every Sunday morning sitting on our kitchen table I have the computer sitting down there and as Angie and I are going about our morning we're eating something for breakfast and we're going about getting ready and so forth I've got music playing and on many many Sunday mornings today was another morning like that the music is playing and here's a song that I play again and again and again and it dates me somewhat but it goes back to the promise keepers movement because I was in many of those stadiums with men and it's a song that they were singing called Knowing You. And it just says, Knowing You, Lord, there's no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. 
you're my righteousness, knowing you. And as I did this morning, when I sat there and I watched that video of those men, I remember some of those stadiums that we were in and I see these thousands upon thousands of men standing there singing this song with tears just flowing down their faces as they were crying before the Lord. And I'd say, God, do it again. Oh, God, do it again. Break us that we will ask the question, who are you, Lord? We want to know you. There is no greater thing. Who are you? Second question, what shall I do, Lord? What do you want me to do? In this invitation right here in just a moment, what, Lord, what do you want me to do? do? Do I need to confess that maybe I've been on a church roll for, for years of my life, but I've, I don't have the peace that I'm saved? Just like Jenny Ellis did not have the peace that she knew Christ. But she had the humility and courage to ask her pastor husband, I don't think I'm saved. I don't have certainty I'll go to heaven. And he had the courage to share the gospel with her. And she got saved. What about you? Maybe you need to say that. I've been on a church roll for years and years and years, but I don't really believe I'm saved. My life hasn't changed. I need to be born again. I need to repent of my sin. What about you? How many of you need to be obedient to Christ in baptism? Paul was. What about you? I was on that river bank that day. What about you? You put it off long enough. You need to be obedient to Christ and say, he has saved me and I need to take that step of obedience. Jesus, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. What about joining this church? What about surrendering the ministry? What about the Christian life saying, I don't really know the Lord and I'm not doing what he wants me to do, but I want to today. And you know why you can do that? Here's why because of his amazing grace. You can wrap up the life of the Apostle Paul with this phrase, he was the apostle of grace. He talked about the grace of God again and again and again. How many of you know this hymn? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Can you say that in your own life? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When I was 12 years old, sitting on those basement steps, folks, I was a wretch before him. But thank God he saved me. And then you can go on to say how sweet it sounds. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. How many of you can say that in your life today? If you can't, let this be the day of your salvation. If you can, thank Jesus for his blood. And he given his life for you. Let's bow together as we pray. Now, Lord Jesus... I've literally stood before your people in this room and literally around the world and sought to explain and uh, make known the truth of your word because your word is true. And Lord Jesus, I prayed through this message. I've thought about this message. And Lord, you've given me the power to deliver this message. And Lord Jesus, I leave the results of this message in your hands. I'm not asking a single person to come to the pastoral staff or to me. We're asking them, Lord Jesus, to come to you. You're the one who will save them. You're the one who will change their lives. You're the one who will give them peace and freedom and the assurance that they're saved. So, Lord Jesus, in this invitation, by your amazing grace, minister to us in this very moment. Let this be a holy ground moment over the next number of minutes we pray. Let your spirit move. 
And we'll celebrate, we'll rejoice, we'll praise you for your work in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name.